0: It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blends All, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. Welcome to Industry Seating. It's Sunday morning, kind of. Just getting ready for the Indianapolis 500 here in a little bit. Gonna talk about Loretta Lens 2. Pod's gonna be a little bit shorter today. Just gonna to kinda of go through some rapid fire points that we saw from yesterday. But before we do, I wanna thank the sponsors of this podcast. wanna thank Pirelli Tires. And if you watch the starts, you saw what I've been talking about. That Pirelli Scoop tire, the Scorpion Soft. Rocketing guys to the front. You saw Alex Martin utilizing that tire. You saw Freddie Noren utilizing that tire. And when I tell you the tire works, you don't really consider the JGR Suzuki's to be whole shot machines, right? That, that's not the first bikes you're going to think of leading the way around a deep, muddy start. But that tire has really done its job. And it's, you know, they've got years of uh, these conditions of experience to work with. Being in MXGP, that's where that tire was developed. It starts like those yesterday really make me look like a genius, but hey, I, I knew what I was talking about with that. I've, I've used the tire. I've seen the tire work, and it was just more evidence for that. So thank you to them. all Oils, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, which we have a rebuild giveaway we'll get to, Fast Foundry, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all the sponsors. So let's jump right into this. No need to wait. 250 class. Jeremy Martin gets your overall win, and that was pretty suspenseful last few laps. It was like a a race in slow motion almost because if you were really paying attention, you could listen to his engine and, and hear how little he was revving the bike. He was in third gear most of the time. I think he was really trying to do a better job of not stalling it than anything else because he was really trying to keep his RPMs low. And for those of us that were watching all of his teammates' bike, bikes explode around him, that's a pretty scary feeling because you can see who the guys are. He could see Jet Lawrence, you know, sitting there with a, a grenaded engine. He may could have seen Carson Mumford with the same problem, right? So you, you know that you're having reliability problems and you've got the overall win on the line. So you have to do everything you possibly can. You're reading the pit board and it's telling you to save the engine, but there's only so much you can do. You know, the, the bike looked like that the head gasket was gone. You could see all the steam coming from the engine and and I'm no mechanic, but it looked like the, the head gasket was gone. So he was just leaping or uh, leaking, uh, you know, fluid out and vapor coming out of there. And, and so I'm sure he was down on power as well. And the thing is just a ticking time bomb. You are in a race against how much radiator fluid is going to be left by the time that the moto ends. And if you run out and the bike's going to get extremely hot at that point, if it has no more, Radiator fluid in it, you're done. So you're just praying that you are on the side of on the right side of time. Do you can you keep the bike and the temperature down low enough to maintain fluid in there by the time the checkered flag flew? And it looked pretty close, and that was a pretty common theme for a lot of bikes, and we saw it kind of go both ways for some guys. Some guys made it, some guys didn't. And I think it's the way you ride the bike that is the biggest factor. You know, Eli Tomac has had a lot of problems in the past with smoking bikes and he really revs his bike and pushes it to the limit. And on conditions like Saturday, you could not do that. Your bike would not make it. So for Jeremy Martin specifically, as we're talking about, he did the right thing. He was mindful of and conscious of it. And I think he probably gave any chance of winning the moto away. And he, he had to know that, right? You have to make series long decisions and I'm sure he wanted to go chase his brother down, but you have to understand that your engine, if you go and try to go win the moto, your engine is 100% going to fail. You could see it all around. You, you could see all of your teammates with the same spec and the same engine parts and the same compression. And all the things that you have in your engine, they're sitting on the side of the track. There is a Geico Honda graveyard on the side of the track, and you have to do everything you can in your power as a rider to avoid that. And he did it. So great job to Jeremy Martin. Gets the overall win. He's still down in the points. He's second in points to... Points leader out or Dylan Ferandis, but this was a good first step. You had to go in there and show Fernandes that you can win too, and you're gonna be a serious player because if Fernandes goes two for two and has another really solid day like he did it at the first round, this thing could get away from you before you know it. And we're going to have some dry races before long. I'm almost sure of it. I can't I can't promise you we could get rain at every one. I guess that's how it possibly could go, but the odds would tell you we're going to get some dry races here soon, and, and guys like Jeremy Martin and Ferrandis and Alex Martin and all the players in this class, Hampshire, et cetera, are going to get their chance to, to let it play out on normal conditions, not the super ruddy track we had at round one or the full mud bath we had at round two. And then we'll learn a little bit more. We'll learn who's for real and who's not on a normal track, and I, I think that's been the overall theme I've seen on social media from the riders is they just want a track that feels like normal, because the first round wasn't that, and we know what the second round was. Uh, So if there are still things to learn, hopefully we see those things emerge in the next couple weeks, because we're going to have three rounds of racing within the next, I guess, nine days from this coming Saturday. So that's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be fun to watch. What about Amart? That second moto was incredible. And I had to listen to Steve Mathis, or didn't listen, but I had to see Steve Mathis' text just raining down as he is the the token Alex Martin fan club president, but good for him. Good for Amart. There's nothing you can say other than good job. He rode incredibly well, really tough conditions. He got the start was really unchallenged. I mean, no one was even close to him. I thought Jmart was going to get up there and give him a race, but we know the, uh, the challenges engine wise that Jmart faced. And honestly, it didn't seem like he had anything for him before then anyway. So great for them, great great for Amart, great for the team. JGR Suzuki really needed that. They needed some sort of good things to happen to them. Even with the hole shots they've been getting in the 450 class, the results really haven't been there. So I was happy for them all the way around. And uh, Alex Martin, for those of you who don't know, is an incredibly nice guy, and he deserves good things to happen for him. So uh, so nice work. Amart, we'll see what he can do with this newfound momentum he's got going here. Next on my list, Dylan Ferrandes. He had a, an okay day. He was very unhappy about something that went on with uh, bike change in between motos. Sounded like something that to do with traction. So that tells me either tire change or ECU change. And I would guess ECU change, but he clearly wasn't very happy given his, uh, his podium speech. So hopefully we'll get some more insight on exactly what went on, but I doubt it. Teams are usually not very forthcoming. With bike changes, especially if they go the wrong direction, which Dylan uh, was was clearly upset with. And we usually don't see very much emotion in a podium speech like that. But it was was clear as day that he was very angry with the team. And uh, I doubt the mood at the truck after that moto was very good. The good news is, though, that he has the points lead. And I think all things considered, before the series started, if you went and talked to him in July sometime and said, Hey, we'll spot you what is it, six points, I believe? We'll spot you a six-point lead after round two. Would you take that? And I think he would. I think he would take that. So if you look at it from that lens of forget about what went on in the last four motos, you have a six-point lead leaving the two Loretta Lens rounds, which we wouldn't have even known. We would have thought we were going to Washougal. I think he takes that with a smile and moves on. So if if he can wrap his mind around that going into round three, you have a six-point lead and you have the championship in front of you, then sure, what is there to be upset about? All things are good. So, the future is definitely bright for this season for him and that team. Uh, but I do think the the biggest bugaboo he has to work out is the starts, because if you really think about it, he seems like he's the fastest guy on the track all the time. You know, whatever went on that second moto, I, I, we can't be sure. But if I had to pick a guy that's going to set the fastest lap time and be generally the fastest guy each moto, I don't know how you could go away from Ferrandis. So with a six point lead and you're the fastest guy and seemingly on the fastest motorcycle, I think everybody would probably like those odds. Next up on my list is the Geico bikes in general. What a tough day for all those guys. And if you go back to last summer, remember at Millville, the Geico Hondas underwent a ton of engine changes. They they had this huge test day on Thursday and Friday leading up to Millville. And they had come up with a new engine package to try to compete because Honestly, the team guys were really frustrated. They just felt really down on power, and they were pretty vocal about it. If you if you remember the Hunter Lawrence interviews from last season, they just felt like they had no chance to compete with guys like Dylan Ferrandis and Justin Cooper and Adam Cincerello and go down the list. So they made gigantic changes. They, they reconfigured a lot of things, and I have no idea what that means. I would assume they probably bumped up compression. They probably went back to the drawing board on ECU settings. And then they had – catastrophic failures in the super deep dirt the next day at Millville. Now it's probably because of the conditions. If you really push your engines to the limit of reliability and then the conditions deteriorate, that's a bad spot to be. If you don't make significant ECU changes. And that's what I think if you wanted to ask me what I think they did with Dylan for I think that's probably what they did. I think they tuned his engine down or detuned it to make sure that it was going to finish And he probably didn't like the way it worked. He probably got a bad start because of it. And it probably was really slow on the racetrack, but for a championship, you have to be willing to sacrifice your most potent engine to get the most points you can and and avoid that DNF. DNFs are just brutally difficult to overcome in in a, nine race championship. So you wonder, you know, Geico made some big steps forward with her engines again for 2020, And they made note of it. Chase Sexton was very vocal about it during the Supercross season. So I wonder if some of that was, you know, on display yesterday. We just saw the bikes failing left and right. And I think they are just on the limit. I think that Monster Star Yamaha has put everybody under pressure to develop and and deliver engine performance that maybe they shouldn't be. And that's a really relative term, shouldn't be. But I think it's put them in an uncomfortable position. Reliability-wise, and then you throw in mud into the equation, and everything goes out the window because no one is testing their engine in m- full mud conditions to see if they're going to be reliable. They'll test them endlessly on normal conditions, and really ride them hard, moto after moto after moto, but that's on normal conditions. And and really, you would hope that these teams detune their bikes across the board, and they probably did. But if you're going to ride har- high RPM and the thing overheats, and you're and you're blowing head gaskets there's really no, no hope. Your only chance is to ride at, you know, a few thousand RPM the way J Mart does. And he only started doing that at like halfway, right? He had to build up a huge lead over the rest of the pack to be able to do that. If you tried to ride that way, the first lap or the first few laps, you would be getting past left and right, because you're not going all that fast. You're just, you're in survival mode and really no one is pushing the pace at that point. So a lot of ins and outs is a pretty complicated dynamic, but in the end, it was a tough thing to watch for the Geico Honda guys because you know how much work, or, or I do anyway, how much work they've put in to try to improve those motorcycles and get more competitive with the guys they're competing against. And to see that kind of come unraveled on a, not everybody, right, j finished, finish, but on, on a large scale, uh, had to be pretty deflating for the engine department. And now their bikes are just a big Junkyard of parts, right? They almost have to just start over, and they have a lot of riders. You look at Shimoda and Mumford, and all these guys. Maybe Hunter Lawrence is done now. We'll have to see with his dislocated shoulder. But Jet Lawrence, J Mart's engines done. I mean, all those bikes pretty much just start over. You know, suspension's fine. You'll you'll save a lot of a lot of parts, but there's going to be a lot of stuff that the tolerances are just gone now. You're going to have to replace them, and it's a pretty expensive day for. Teams that pay for parts and obviously the, all the privateer guys—that's a really expensive afternoon because your bike is just garbage. You you put all of this effort and these resources into building a competitive motorcycle, and in you know the the span of four hours, your bike is now garbage. So it's just it's an aspect of it that's not going to change. It's just part of racing, but it's certainly not a fun one for team owners. And and a team like Rocky Mountain KTM, who I've been very close to, you can just see the the frustration on the, uh, like Forrest Butler's face, because it just wallops the budget. Like all your parts budget and everything just takes a shellacking on a day like that, because you probably weren't in a situation where you needed to switch everything, you know, and that's the worst case scenarios. If you put in a new engine for, for that round, which I doubt they would for the second round. So maybe that was um, convenient on that end, but a mud race on a new engine weekend is like the worst possible scenario. RJ Hampshire is the last singular rider I have on my list. And what a first moto he had. I mean, he checked out on those guys to the point where he really wasn't on television all that much because he was in his own world. And as a fly racing rider, I was very excited about it, but I kept forgetting that he had kind of checked out on the whole crew. So after the first round, you know, we were all kind of wondering is, is RJ for real? Like he looked great, but after his knee surgery, it seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere. Well, he shut everybody up and backed that up with that first moto win. And, yeah, the second moto didn't go so well. He was having a tough time, bad start, got stuck there where Brandon Hartraft helped him. And then his bike gave out on him late in the race. So tough points-wise in that second moto. But the riding-wise, you have to be really excited for RJ Hampshire. And uh, for me personally, obviously, I'm biased with his uh, his choice in gear. But it is pretty cool to see somebody bounce back like that after many people had kind of written him off for the 2020 year totally. Uh, but he's he's come with it. So uh, exciting to have another player. And that leads me into this next point, that this class doesn't feel very deep to me. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely underestimating it. But when you really look at the field, we're missing guys like Forkner, we probably have just lost Hunter Lawrence. It just, I don't know, man, pro circuit came in really wounded, right? They didn't have March Banks or Forkner into these guys. Justin Cooper came in injured. He's been nowhere near the front, so that's just another player that is kind of down and out. Maybe he bounces back. Cincerillo left, obviously. Sexton left. Those are two big players. Sexton was a 250 guy, right, this spring. He leaves for the 450 class. So I don't remember a time where the 250 class felt this shallow. But, I mean, I guess if you're at the front, if you're A-Mart, j RJ, one of these guys, you're excited because it's just endless opportunities for podiums. But when I watch the class, I kind of go through it. And once you get past like the top five, you're like, man, where is the depth in this class? So hopefully some of these guys rebound. I don't know if Forkner's planning on coming back. I know he's riding, but I don't think they'll rush him back by any means. Uh, I don't think March Banks is coming back. So... It may not get much better anytime soon. This may just be what we're what we're gonna see. You know, I, I think Jet Lawrence has more to give. I think he will be a factor before the series is over. So maybe he can add some some spice to this class. But that's just my overall feeling after two rounds. Is it's one of the weakest two fifties two fifty years we've seen in a long time. I wanna shine a little light on our sponsors before we get into the four fifty class. Pirelli tires. Check out that scoop tire. I kind of mentioned that already, but that's the biggest point I have to make is they are, they're really showing you what I already knew is the things that they're good at that where they have a real edge especially in this outdoor Motocross Championship that thing is lethal and it doesn't seem to matter what bike you put it on 250 450 uh it does its job and it's going to continue to do its job all summer long if these these rainy conditions go on as well as MXGP all oils the 455 Ultra was once referred to as Super all. Because this premium blend racing caster offers high performance and ultimate lubricating protection all in one bottle. Go to blendsall.com. Go to at on their Instagram. You can get 10% off mixed pint cases over there. Thanks to David and the crew for being a part of the podcast. Works connection. If you're buying a new bike, it's the perfect time to go get your tachometer hour meter. Now, you can keep track of when you need to service it. Obviously, replace engine parts, oil changes, all that stuff. This is a great time because it's new bike season, so you can get that thing started right away, and you'll always have a great idea of how many hours your bike has on it. Obviously, resale, any kind of application like that, an hour meter is going to help you. Another thing you want to check out is their Pro Launch Start device. Now, long-time Industry Seating Podcast listeners already know about the Pro Launch Start device, but go down the list of guys that are getting starts. Freddie Noren, Alex Martin, Star Yamaha. Guess what they all use? Oh, don't forget Max Anstey, whole shouting that second moto. They all use the works connection pro launch start device. I don't believe that's a coincidence, but Hey, who am I to know? So check out WorksConnection.com, at works connection on their Instagram and get your bike dialed in pump Creek funding 30 year fixed rates are still under 3%. Another stat for you was watching the news this week. Home purchases in the month of July are up 24.7%. Think about that. 25, almost 25% up from last year. And that that's just due to the rate, right? So these people know what I've been trying to preach at you is there is a reason to get involved now, whether you want to buy, you you probably already own a house. Most people do, but you can refi same exact dynamic and save yourself a ton of money. Reach out to Zach at plum Creek funding and just ask questions. That's been my biggest message over the course of this podcast is just to ask questions to Zach and see how he can save you money. Some of my friends have already done this saved a ton of money over the course of their loan by doing nothing else than doing a refi. You know, you're, you don't pay anything out of pocket, any closing costs are added into your loan. And over, you know, the next 20 or 30 years, you're going to save tens of thousands of dollars. It's it's a no lose situation. The federal reserve is doing this for a reason because they want to stimulate the economy. They want people to be buying houses and refinancing, and they want lending going on from banks. So we are all the winners of that situation. So ask questions, Zach Morris, 720, so 720-212-4685, and Plum Creek Funding is his Instagram, at Plum Creek Funding. Premier Vapor Blasting, they have been voted the number one choice for your vapor blasting needs. Vapor blasting is the safest method in surface restoration. It does not compromise the integrity of surfaces like other traditional methods. Not only is it safe on items like rubber and plastic, it is gentle enough to clean radiators without damaging the fins. So it's a, a really effective restoration process, but it's also very gentle. So it's not going to damage your surface integrity. If you mention the, the industry seating podcast, which is the one you're listening to, you get a 25% discount. So that's a heck of a deal. So check out premier vapor blasting at premier vapor blasting is their Instagram. Ask for Brandon over there and they will get you dialed in. Now, 612 suspension is doing a giveaway, which we, uh, we kicked off last weekend. Ronnie made his selection. This morning texted me I was getting ready for my bike ride, so thanks to Ronnie Monk and the 612 Suspension Crew for offering that up and also being a sponsor of this podcast. But they have a new rebuild winner, and it's Tim K 125 That's his Instagram. Tim TimK125. So, Tim, reach out to Ronnie or myself, and we'll get you dialed in. And congrats on winning the first ever 612 rebuild giveaway for this podcast. And, and we're going to try to continue to do more. I have more Pirelli Tire giveaways to do. We'll do some more fly racing giveaways and uh, hopefully I will get with some of the sponsors and do some more product giveaways. I want this to be the podcast that, uh, yeah, that gives back that's, you know, it's, it's a two way street. You guys listen, you maybe learn something. Maybe you don't, maybe you get bad information, which I try to avoid, but hopefully you win something along the way as well. Now fast foundry, a little bit of out of the industry company. They are a tech solutions company. So whether you're a startup needing to automate or an existing company wanting, wanting to modernize and update your automation, they have answers for you. They've worked with Fortune 500 companies like HP, Mountain Dew, Intel. They've done some live and virtual event solutions, right? So they have a lot of different ways that they can help you. So go to fastfoundry.com. You can ask for Robert Carrico over there. He's a moto guy. Had to be cheering for the 7 Deuce Deuce. I think 7 Deuce Deuce had some bike issues yesterday. I, all I got was a text from Mathis saying that uh, seven deuce deuce was stuck on the side of the track. So I'm sure that was a bummer for Robert, but Hey, I like to work with moto people. That's been a recurring theme for as long as this podcast has been around is moto people helping moto people. And if you're going to do business, why not keep it in the moto family? That's what I've always believed in. So, so thanks to FastFoundry.com for being a part of this last but not least fly racing. Hey, We won the race again. We won the 450 race thanks to Zach Osborne, who I'm literally texting right now. We are in a big group text battle. But he won again. That's two for two. And then RJ Hampshire won the 250 moto. So we won quite a bit yesterday. That's something I could get used to. If you want to learn more about the Formula Helmet, go to formula.flyracing.com. It's a microsite that will teach you all about the Formula Helmet. And hopefully we can keep these winning ways going. I will be at the next few rounds, assuming that the schedule stays together. There's a lot of a lot of chatter about scheduling these days uh, but I am planning on being at the next three rounds so we'll see how this all this all goes I guess even if they adjusted it maybe I could adjust my travel plans too um, but I'm looking forward to being on site and uh, seeing this this winning in person so 450 class let's jump right into that Zach Osborne as I mentioned what a day Facing adversity wasn't an easy day I mean if you watched time qualifying, there was a chance that he wasn't even going to race. And I won't get into all the, the politics of rules and all that stuff because that's still a, a hot debate. And they, it didn't seem like the Kawasaki guys were all that thrilled. I heard rumors about them protesting him for being allowed to ride the B practice. That's not my place to say. I know what the rules state. But, again, without – you know, they changed the schedule, so they went to one practice. Then they removed the LCQ – from the schedule entirely. So if you're going to talk about rules and, you know, all that stuff, where as far as you're, you're in a gray area, I think you have to be able to flex a little bit if you're the AMA, because you're the ones changing the schedule. You are the ones that are forcing everybody to get it perfect in that one practice, because normally he would have either had the first practice and they would have maybe missed that. And then they would have got the bike fixed for the second one. Or, worst case, he goes out and is at least able to race the LCQ. So I understand why you would be frustrated if you're battling for a title and a guy, you can say, like, this is the rule, you have to follow it. But at the same time, everyone else is looking at it. Well, people that are objective or maybe biased, you could say I'm biased, are looking at it like, listen, everything about the day has been changed, so there has to be some some ability to, to flex here a little bit. Like you have to be a little bit flexible. If you're going to change the schedule and, and disallow some qualifying opportunities, you can't be expected to, to draw just as much of a hard line on enforcing a rule either. So that's where I came down on it. I'm sure the Cali guys are just shaking their head and don't want to hear that. Or really anybody that's in championship contention, you don't want to hear that. Um, and it's not my place to say, it's just one man's opinion, but I think there has to be a little bit of ground given, uh, you know, given that there was a change to the schedule completely and the normal qualifying circumstances were not provided. You can't be expected to be held to the rules that are put in place based on those qualifying guidelines. So anyway, great job by Zacco. And he's got a big points lead now. I mean, he's 40 points up on Tomac, who is your three-time defending champ. Sure. There are other guys in there, Marvin and these other guys, But I think everybody had their eyes on Tomac to be, you know, to defend this championship. And he's 40 points down. So we'll see a lot of racing left and anything can happen. One moto could completely change that narrative. But it's looking pretty good for Zachary right now. He's pretty confident. And uh, I know he's very comfortable with where he is stacking up against the field right now. He just got to try to keep this thing on two wheels and uh, keep the momentum going. Kind of touched on Tomac already listen, this isn't over for him, but at the same time going DNF, DNF, he got lucky in that first moto too, because he ended up what 10th in the first moto, something like that, even though he didn't even finish the race. So it could have been a lot worse for him had the bike given up sooner, but again, he's got to start winning. I haven't seen him be the guy yet. And I say the guy in air quotes or all caps or however you want to put that, but normally Tomac wins motos and he has not won one yet. So Look for him to try to get this thing back on track in a big way. I think he's he's got to make a statement. If he wants to be in this title fight, he has to make a statement and get the, the momentum flowing back his direction because it is going every direction but towards him right now. So let's see what he has in mind for a track that's typically been pretty good for him at Ironman. I guess they've all been pretty good for him, to be realistic about it. Chase Sexton was on my... Pulp and fantasy team and not a bad day, but in that second moto, I don't know what happened to him on the start. He was way back I mean, he was 36th or something. So obviously a crash, maybe he stopped for goggles, something bad went on for him, but he was riding like a bat out of hell coming back. And I was watching his lap times just to see if he was going to get points or not. And he was doing, he was in the top three of lap times. Sometimes he would have the best lap on track. Sometimes he would be, you know, second, third, fourth. And keep in mind, this is in traffic too. So a really impressive ride, really impressive pace from Sexton. And then something happened the last lap because he had gotten all the way up to like 14th and then he went to 20th. And he only got 20th because it was the last lap and that was, he was the last person on that lap. So it hurt me for sure in points. And yeah, I'm sure he wasn't thrilled about either because he he had worked so hard to move up and then he gets, you know, he just loses like six or seven spots on the last lap. So Maybe we'll find out what happened there. I'm assuming the bike finally let go or something. That seemed to be the the common theme throughout the day. But going into Ironman, look out. I, I think he is ready for a breakout ride. I think he will be on the podium at Ironman. Keep in mind, this is his home race. He's a Midwest kid, and I think he's going to be pumped up and ready to, uh, to get some revenge after a tough day in Tennessee. And uh, I expect big things, which will hurt me because I had him on my team this past weekend, and he will be – He'll be a pretty popular pick, I believe, on Saturday, and he'll probably bite me right in the ass, but that's the way this thing works. Next up, Marv. Marv's in the mix, and, and don't sleep on Marv. He's a he's a gaggle of points out right now, like, you know, 19, 20-something points out. But this thing can really change really quickly, as we saw for Tomac. And I, I think Marv is still building. There's no way he's at a complete 100% fitness-wise and, and racecraft-wise. It's impossible after such a long layoff. So I think he's going to continue to get better and better. And this this Ironman track has been one that he's been good at over the years. It works for him. His his riding style, you know, ruddy, and you have to be really precise on this Ironman track. We'll see how the weather plays out, but I do think Marv is going to win sooner than later. Remember this race in 2017 where he should have won the overall and he crashed the last lap. This, this was the race that, uh, Jeffrey Herlings was at and Marv had it locked up and gave it away by crashing. So this is a track he's done well at, and I expect a podium out of Marvin Muscine. So I just said Sexton and I just said Marvin. So I'm kind of boxing myself in here a little bit. Point being, I think Marvin's going to continue to get better and better. And I, I don't know if he'll be, you know, the last round be right in the title fight or not, but I I'm a believer in Marv. I think he's a very smart racer. And I think when there's this much chaos going on for everyone other than Osborne, I think that presents a very good opportunity for a consistent rider like Marvin is. Justin Barsha, what a first moto. He won by like a minute. Well, he crashed. He was winning by like a minute on the last lap. That's a hell of a ride. And I'm sure everybody was having problems and probably trying to save their bikes. But point being, Barsha checked out on everybody. And that's what he needs because he's trying to get contracts signed right now. The most likely landing spot sounds like it's going to be gas gas, but the problem there is he'd have to give up his gear deal to do that because that's going to be a team gear deal, it sounds like. So I don't know. I, I keep hearing that's where he's going to end up, but at the same time, I don't think he has any interest in leaving Alpine Stars. He's, he's been a long time Alpine Stars guy. He has a great relationship with them. I, I know they love him, and I'm pretty sure he's happy to be there. So that's going to be a tough dynamic to work through. Um, which when push comes to shove, is he really willing to do that? But again, you really have to look at what options you have on the table. And if that's the only one that's on full factory equipment and the money's right, I guess you have to do it, but just keep an eye on that. And that's probably the biggest dynamic for Barsha. If you let him keep his own gear deal and go on a factory gas gas, I think that deal would already be done. I think the ink would be dry, but he's got to work through. That, that tough deal. I, I know emotionally that's probably kind of nagging on him as far as deciding where to go. Adam Cincerillo, it's a better day. His only goal for the day it seemed was just to finish. And I'm sure that's a little bit of hyperbole on his part, but I think there's some truth there. He just didn't want to crash. He didn't want to DNF a moto. He didn't want to be standing along the side of the track, watching mechanics fix his tweaked motorcycle again. He's done that way too much in his career and he knows it. So going in, I think he was willing to sacrifice a little bit of speed and a little bit of risk to make sure that he finished. And it's a pretty, pretty solid day. End up on the podium, got some solid points. And it's a, a starting point for the rest of this series to get back to where he wants to be, which is winning, which is where he was last summer. So keep an eye on Adam. Starts are going to be important, but more than anything, he's just got to stay off the ground. So that was a, a pretty nice step in that direction for for what he knows his weaknesses, he knows not finishing is something you just, you can't have in this series, especially when it's your fault, right? If the bike gives out on you, okay, you can make an argument that you need to be gentler on it, but if you're just crashing out of motos, that's a hundred percent on you and you can't have that. So, uh, I like to see improvement. I like to guys, I like when guys see their own faults and their weaknesses and they work to improve them and they actually do something about it. So good job for AC and I'm an AC fan already. Uh, so this kind of furthers it. Brock Tickle, what a first moto for him. It was, it was all about some Yamahas in that first moto. And that's kind of the ride I expected at the first round. When I picked him on my fantasy team, it was not meant to be. He was nowhere near the same level that he was in that, that first moto. But I think that's what Brock needs. He is going to be in a contract situation again for 2021. He needs podium rides like that. He needs to be on the radar of teams with lots of options because you know, spots like the second spot at Rocky Mountain KTM. That's a perfect example. However many guys uh, the Gas Gas team ends up having. Moto Concepts. You just go down the list of teams that have openings. There are a lot of potential riders for those teams. Penride Honda. He needs to be on those lists, and he needs to climb the ranks in those lists, and getting on the podium in these, these summer motos is a great way to do that. So nice job from Tickle. Really nice guy, and he's very easy to root for. Blake Baggett, I don't know. I, I I know he was out there. I saw his name in the results sheet. I was watching his lap times, but I never saw him. I mean, it wasn't a good day. If you're not on TV at all during the day, like I never see you at, at any point, that's generally a bad day. That's almost a prerequisite for having a bad day is never making it you know, on the broadcast. But I think the biggest factor here is his starts. You know, at a supercross start on a grid, it was almost a guarantee that you would see Baggett near the front. They just had the, the settings so dialed and it was like clockwork that he could come off the gate and that bike just accelerated so well in the conditions that Supercross presented. Well, whatever's going on now, if it's the ECU setting, they just don't have as dialed in. What, whatever the case is, he's much less likely to have the start every time. And on Saturday, he got neither of them. So that's priority number one. And I kind of mentioned that last week is I would make the starts my only priority right now because it seems like the riding is fine. It's not perfect could always be better, but the starts are putting you in such a bad spot that the riding almost doesn't matter in a mud race like that. If you start 25th, you're, it's not going to happen for you. You're not getting better than like, you know, the backside of the top 10. You just can't, it's too difficult to move up. You can't even see your goggles are ruined. you have probably been splashed a hundred times in the first lap. Your gloves are soaked. You can't grip the bike. There's a myriad of problems that all happen from a bad start in the mud like that. And it seemed like Baggett did that twice. Uh, so he needs to figure that out. The Ironman start is a, is a good one. I think for bikes that are really strong on torque and power and the KTM certainly has that. Uh, so maybe he can find a way to bounce back going into Ironman. Dino's having a hell of a season. And I mean that in a bad way, nothing's gone right. He's been pretty vocal on social media about just struggling with track conditions in the first two rounds. So look for him if if we do get some positive weather at Ironman, look for him to really try to make the most of it because I think I think he has a lot more than what he's shown so far. But until he finds conditions that he's he's happy with and that things are going his way, you're not going to see it. So I think you know two top ten motos would be a step in the right direction. And when things are going bad, I, I learned this in my own racing. When things are going really bad, you just need baby steps to get things you know the momentum and that pendulum swinging the other way because it's so easy to let things snowball negatively. If you can just have one decent day, almost like Cincirillo, you didn't win. You maybe moved backwards at times and that's not ideal, but you had a better day right there. When you go to bed on Saturday night after the race, you're feeling more positive than you did the prior Saturday night. And that's really all you can do. So I think for Dino, if he can just get things headed back on the right trajectory, that's going to be a positive, positive step. So watch for that next weekend. If he can just turn the tide a little bit, you don't have to go out there and get top five. Do you want to? Of course, if you can, you maybe, I I don't know, but I think just a better result mentally and, and the team morale and all that stuff goes a long way. And then you just start building, right? Go into red bud, which he's had success in the past, uh, and just Things start happening, you know, and before you know it, you're back to where you want to be without this drastic change. It wasn't like an overnight success story. You just worked your way back into into the fold. So that's it for this weekend. I appreciate everybody listening. Just kind of rapid fire some some points that I have on guys, and I think that's where this podcast is going to go the rest of the the season anyway. Is just take the points and the notes that I make throughout the day and, and touch on certain things. I think when we have a dry race, there's going to be a lot more to talk about because in the mud guys are just riding around. Like I can't really critique a guy's riding when he has no goggles on. He can't see anything. He probably doesn't have gloves on anymore. His bikes, you know, detuned into like a, you know, 1986 CR 125. So it finishes the moto. Like it's really hard to have talking points about that stuff. So I'm personally looking forward to a dry race. So we get more of what we love about the sport and less of guys just riding around at, you know, 2,500 RPM, trying to have their bike finish the blackwater 100. So again, uh, Patreon, if you want to check out my Saturday morning podcast, they are much more about what I think is going to happen. And I got it right this weekend. My fantasy team killed it based off of kind of the things I thought would happen. So I felt a little justified in giving out advice on Saturday morning, but you can go to patreon.com slash industry slash industry seating and check that out and sign up. Or you can just DM me or email me and ask me about it, jason36 at AOL.com, and I'm happy to steer you in the right direction. So I will be doing that podcast from Crawfordsville, Indiana, this Saturday. It'll be early, but that's all right. That's what it's about. I want to get the the most timely information to you guys weather reports, things that happened on Friday, who's sick, like I said, who's fighting with their girlfriends. Like, you know, Austin Forkner, unfortunately, is. It's, Seems like he has been separated from his fiance. So things like that affect racing. They affect fantasy advice and all those things. And while we're not a gossip machine, we can certainly talk talk about them in a respectful way and how that may uh, affect results positively or negatively. So thanks again. Thanks for listening. Thanks to all the sponsors. And uh, we will talk to you on this specific podcast next Sunday. See you.